Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Catherine Isaac is a best-selling rom-com author who is also a master of bittersweet family stories, the kind that break your heart at the same time as they make it sore. She has you laughing, she has you crying. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler. And today, Catherine talks about the uplifting stories that delight readers with their French and Italian settings while challenging them to accept that sometimes it takes darkness to see how we can shine. We've got three copies of Catherine's latest book, Messy Wonderful Us, to give away to three lucky readers. Two friends fly to Italy, one in search of her mother's secret life, the other escaping a sudden separation. It's an uplifting tale of love, regret, and second chances. Enter now, don't miss out. You can find the way to enter on the website thejoysofbingereading.com along with links to Catherine's books and social media. You can contact her anytime, but do enter the draw for that book, Messy Wonderful Us. And while you're there, leave a comment. We love to hear from our listeners. But now, here's Catherine. Hello there, Catherine, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for, uh, thank you for inviting me. Now, look, you are in the UK and I'm in New Zealand and we're in a time of pandemic. So can you perhaps paint a bit of a picture for our listeners? How is social distancing affecting you? Um, well, I think we're the same as most people. We're just kind of muddling through, really. Um, I've, I've got three children, um, age 15, uh, 11 and 7. So they're all at home doing their schoolwork here. So um, obviously trying to, trying to write in between printing out trigonometry questions is, uh, is, is a bit more challenging than usual. But we're, we're muddling through and we're lucky because we've got a garden and, you know, I know that doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't apply to lots of people. And so, so we're, we're, just, uh, we're just tootling along, really. We're fine. Yes. Yeah. Look, I've spoken to quite a few people who say that even when they're in rather comfortable circumstances, that this virus somehow does get into their heads and distracts them from their normal thinking processes. As a former newspaper editor, are you finding it harder to focus or are you a bit distracted by wanting to jump into news cycles still? I mean, I'm, I always, I've, I've always been kind of slightly obsessed with the news. I do like, um, you know, I, I, I've always, I, I was a newspaper journalist before I became an author for, for many years. Um, and yeah, so I am, I, I, I am permanently glued to the news. And obviously there isn't a great deal of good news around at the moment. Um, but in terms of being distracted, actually, um, I, you know, I've heard a lot of people, uh, 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 a lot of people say that actually. And in my case, I, I tend to find that in, in times of crisis, um, I find writing 
uh, a kind of distraction in itself. And, you know, I do like submerging. So I can think of many examples in my life if, you know, things have been going badly elsewhere. Um, somehow, it, you know, I seem to, um, the, the, the writing seems to go well in that case. And so I, I don't ask me why, but I think it's just, it's, it's, it's a means of escape for me, I suppose. Yes, I you think can lose yourself in it perhaps. Exactly. Now that's not to say writing or I always find writing easy or anything like that. Um, or, or easy to focus on because I can think of so many times, actually, usually when other things are going well, um, when I find writing incredibly hard and incredibly hard to focus on. Um, I mean, writing a novel does require such such intense concentration um, that it, it isn't always a given that that is going to happen. So I'm always very grateful when it does. Yeah. Look, you were, I think, editor of the Liverpool Daily Post, and then you moved from that to being a novelist. So tell us how that transition occurred. Was there some epiphany moment when you felt, oh, I must write a novel? Um, well, I, I like most authors, um, I think my love of, bu- love of books began in childhood. Um, and in, in, my, uh, in my instance, um, uh, my mum was actually in a wheelchair. She'd, she'd, uh, she'd been involved in a very serious car accident before I was born. So when we, myself and my brother were brought up, um, she she we were housebound with her basically so my dad would go out to work and she would bring us up even though she was wheelchair wheelchair bound so that kind of meant that we didn't spend long days in the park or anything like you know anything like that but what she did do constantly with us was was to read um and um Basically, she, she, yeah, she, she. I think it was because of that that I was became such an avid reader when I was um, when I was a young child. So I, I spent a long, long time really wanting to um, to write a novel, but not actually doing so. And the epiphany moment I think came um, when I'd been in journalism for many, many years. I'd wanted to write a novel the whole time, kind of harboured this ambition, even though I loved journalism. By the way, I really did love working. Um, I loved being a newspaper editor. Um, But I was actually at um, a friend's wedding and I was sitting in a pew and I saw her and her bridesmaids walking down the aisle and I thought, gosh, has anybody ever written a novel called Bridesmaids? Um, You know, a kind of romantic comedy type novel. And I thought at the time, I'm going to Google this when I get home. And if they haven't, I'm going to do it. Um, and they haven't. So I, I, you know, I then I went home and um, and basically I was on maternity leave at the time, and I just wrote an hour here and an hour there, um, and that really was the start of it for me. And I wrote those that book, and then ten, sub, sorry, nine subsequent novels under the name Jane Costello, uh, before obviously this transition into a different kind of book to write as Catherine Isaac. How amazing. And was there something about those particular bridesmaids that sparked that that thought on your mind? No, not at all. Um, it was simply a question of, um, <clears throat> I think being a bridesmaid is something so many of us have done and can relate to. And it's at that certain time in your life, you know, and I just wanted to write a book that had a really upbeat feel and was funny and was about friendships and you know, and all the dramas that go hand in hand with a wedding and all the funny things that happen. Um, So no, it wasn't anything specific. Um, 
but it was, I mean, it feels like such a long time ago because that was my first book. That was 15 years ago now that that was out. And it's obviously a very, very different type of book from the, the work I, I do now, but it was a, it was just, it was a, it was a lovely start. And, you know, I was, I was really lucky um, in the sense that it became, it, you know, it was far more successful than I ever, ever dreamt it would be. You know, I, my aim at the time was, oh, I'd, wouldn't it be great to get a book published? And then, you know, for it to have actually um, ended up in lots of readers' hands as well was, was absolutely amazing. It's fantastic. Now, as you've alluded, your your work has developed into a different area now. You did those nine romance novels, all of which were bestsellers, but you've more moved more into general fiction and into slightly darker, deeply emotional family stories. Tell us a little bit about that transition. Well, it came really, it dovetailed, a few things dovetailed really. Um, first of all, um, <clears throat> I'd been writing the kind of rom-coms for about 10 years. And I suppose I wanted to, I, I was kind of feeling like, even though I loved them, I wanted to try, you know, stretch myself and try something a bit more ambitious, I suppose. So that was in the back of my head. Um and then a friend of mine, somebody I know very well, um, <clears throat> discovered that his um, his mom had a thing called Huntington's disease, um, and I at the time had I'd heard of it, but I didn't I didn't know a great deal about it. I had, I'm not sure I completely understood what it was beyond the fact that I knew it was some sort of neurodegenerative disease, which it is. Um, but the thing about Huntington's is that it kind of comes on in middle age, usually, usually anyway. Um, and every child of somebody who has HD um, has a 50-50 chance of, of having the faulty gene that, that uh, causes it. So it, it, this, this was happening to this guy who's a, who's, a, who's a friend of mine. But it just, this, this kind of ripple effect of the whole of the disease the fact that it affected entire families and um, really just sparked the idea for a story um, that was then to form the basis of you me everything which was my first Catherine Isaac book and um, and that novel is about a woman who um she's a single mom and she takes her 10 year old son to France this beautiful place in the Dordogne where they go to spend the summer with um with with uh, the, the boy's estranged father and it was it's because she's discovered that her mom has Huntington's disease and that obviously has all the implications not merely for for her for her mom but also for her and the whole family so so it's all set in this gorgeous place and it's 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 well, I set out, I suppose, I didn't want to write a book about a disease. I wanted to write a book about families and love and relationships and how people deal with that kind of news and knowledge and the decisions that go go around it. Um, and I wanted to make something that was funny as well as sad. Um, and anyway, yeah, so the result was You, Me, Everything. And because it was so different, obviously, to the work that, that I'd written previously. Uh, it was actually, actually my agent who suggested um, the name change, um, which, which felt like a bit of a risk. At the, well, I felt like a big risk at the time because obviously I had um, a readership, especially in, in the UK. Um, you know, it's, they'd been, the Jane Costello books had been 
top 10 and, um, you know, and it, so it did kind of feel like, oh, you know, are we risking too much here? And I did have quite a few sleepless nights, I have to say. Um, but, but Yumi, everything turned out to be my biggest kind of writing success to date. And, and um, it's Lionsgate are now making it into a movie, which is really exciting. Um, and it's, I think it's, it's up to about 24 different languages it's been translated into now. So it's the right decision, I think. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, somebody wrote something very beautiful about that book. They said that it broke my heart and made it sore. So you kind of hit both the, the bittersweet side of it very well, that you did cover the darker stuff, but you also presented a lot of uplifting um, love and, and happiness and courage as well. So that was a remarkable achievement. And you went on to do something very similar with the next one, Messy Wonderful Us, which has just only been out well, since last month, I think. That's right, yeah. Um, I think it might have been out a bit longer, actually, where you are. I'm not, I'm not 100% oh. sure. I'd have to check that. But, mm -hmm. yeah, I think so. Because they all have different publishing dates and complicate matters, basically. But, yes. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, so Messy Wonderful Oz is, is, is a kind of similar thing in the sense that it's, it's, it's also in a beautiful setting. It's set in Lake Garda in Italy. Um, but it also covers themes that, um, as you say, do stray into darker territory. So it's so messy, wonderful laws really opens with the discovery of a letter. Um, and this letter has arrived in, um, it, it's date postmarked 1983 and has arrived from Italy. And it's in it, 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 at that time, it's been basically hidden away apparently forever because it contains all these secrets that, um, obviously are fairly um, unthinkable to certain people. Um, and it's hidden away apparently forever until three decades later, it's actually discovered by the last person um, who was ever supposed to find it. And that is the, the main character of the story. That's Ali, um, who is a, she's a doctor, she's a research scientist. And she stumbles across this letter in her, um, in her grandmother's drawer. Um, and it basically casts huge doubt on uh, everything she has ever known about her family, who her family are, who her father is. Um, and, um, and basically, um, she ends up having to, because obviously with the truth liable to hurt all those who, who are closest to her, she ends up having to hire a, discreetly hire a private detective who, um, who ends up tracing um, various, um, you know, leads to these secrets to Lake Garda. Um, and it's there that she travels with her best friend, Ed, to try and kind of unpick this story of what happened to her late mother um, in the summer before she was born. Look, you've suggested one of the kind of underlying themes of both of these books probably is that, quotes, sometimes it takes darkness to see how we shine. And certainly your characters managed to shine and respond amazingly well to difficult circumstances. I almost wonder if there's a little bit of Liverpudlian grit underneath it all. Is this part <laughs> of your worldview, do you think? I don't know about I don't know about Liverpool but specifically. I don't maybe. I mean, yes, I think possibly, you know, undoubtedly I think some 
That's an interesting question. Um, I think that, that um, some there are challenges thrown at my um, characters. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And the endings, I would say, without giving away any spoilers, are not your classic, um, you know, uh, fairy tale endings by any stretch of the imagination. And that is the case with both books. And the There's reason no wish fulfillment is there. I'm no, no. And the reason for that, is, I mean, the endings are very definitive. They are all tied up. There's, a, you know, but they're not. Um, it isn't the fairy tale ending. I think it was, you know, and I did that deliberately simply because I think that is, um, that that's, that's how life goes, you know, mm. and I think I've probably been influenced by my mom, to be honest, like I said earlier, you know, she, she was involved in this terrible car accident, lost the, you know, when she was kind of in her mid twenties and, you know, lost the use of her, her legs. Um, and yet she is an incredibly optimistic, fun-loving person. You know, she, um, she, her and my dad, you know, ours was always kind of the party house when I was growing up. You know, it was always a place of kind of fun and joy and we had a really, really happy childhood. So I think that, the, um, that undoubtedly has affected my um my narrative when I'm writing about difficult things that happen to characters, I think. We just have to assure readers that you do lighten it up with some gorgeous French and Italian settings, which the food and the atmosphere and the scents in the air and all sorts of things create a wonderful feeling of armchair travel and escape. So you've got that side of it as well, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not, um, I'd hate people to think, even though I've kind of alluded to some of the darker things, these are not, they're, they're both of them very, very uplifting books. I mean, that's what, um, you know, that that's kind of the feedback that readers tell me. And that was certainly the aim, I think. Um, and they're uplifting because of the way the characters are inter interact. But as you say, it's also these, I love writing about a gorgeous setting. So the first one, You, Me, Everything, was all set in the Dordogne, as you, um, as you mentioned. But yes, um, Italy is where Messy Wonderful Us is set. And it is... I mean, of all the locations I've ever written about, that's my unquestionably my favourite. I, I just love Italy. Um, I love the food. I love the people. I love the surroundings. I love all the history. Um, and that is, that is absolutely all in there. Um, we went on a very, very tough research trip, as you could imagine, to uh, Lake Garda uh, a few years ago before I wrote the book. And... Um, in fact, I've got lots of pictures all over my kind of social media on my Instagram if people wanted to have a look at it. But um, it really is just the most gorgeous place. So writing about it after we'd returned was an absolute joy. It really was. Um, you, Me, Everything was an international bestseller, as you've mentioned, but it also won a popular romantic fiction award. And it's interesting that there certainly is romance in it, but it's a love story in the widest definition of the term, isn't it? Um, do you think these boundaries are becoming more and more blended as, as genre expand their boundaries? What do you think about that? Um, gosh, it's difficult to talk. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I was actually quite surprised that it, in some ways that it was, because it's not in my, um, I'd never seen it as a romance novel, I suppose. Mm. Um, I had definitely seen it as a love story, but as you say, in the wider sense of the term, because it's as much about the relationship between 
um, a woman and her son and a woman and her older parents as it is about a, a story between a man and a woman, um, although that is obviously in there as well. Um, it was lovely to win the award, though, I have to say. But, yeah, they cle- clearly, um, I was, you know, uh, uh, the genres are difficult. I, I always find it difficult to kind of define what genre it is, really, because people call, you know, we call, I mean, romantic comedy is obvious, this isn't a romantic comedy. I personally wouldn't even, I definitely, I wouldn't call it a romance. It is, it is, and women's fiction is the other term that's bad, but it's, you know, I get lots of men reading it and it's not specifically, you know. So it's very, very difficult, actually. It is a tricky one to try and kind of pigeonhole into, into a specific, um, into a specific genre. Um, but I think a lot of people, a lot of people are the same. You look at somebody like, um, let me think. <clears throat> so, I mean, even some of Jojo Moyes' books, you know, if you, the, um, the Giver of Stars, for example, that she's just, um, which has been her new one. You know, what kind of, what's that? You know, that's not a romance. It's far, far, but it's a sweeping historical epic novel. Um, And yeah, I do, yeah, I think people do kind of tend to get pigeonholed and labelled into these things because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult really to kind of name something that they, um, a shorthand that they are, I guess. Um, Both those most recent books revolve around family secrets and, In your book club questions for your readers, you ask them, do all families have secrets? I wondered if you'd heard back from your readers on that topic and what they say. No, I haven't actually. No, I don't think, no, I mean, hopefully these questions are, I'd be interested though, actually, if anybody had, um, uh, had, had used these questions, but they're for kind of book clubs on a Friday night when people meet and things. So I tend to not, not to be involved in um, what people's answers are to it, because I'm sure they will be, obviously book club, clubs are very, very frank about whether they've enjoyed a book or which bits they've liked and all the rest of it, which I'm always fascinated by. Um, <clears throat> but no, that specific question, I don't actually know. Yeah, I think that, I don't know, I suspect the answer is they must, mustn't they? You know, I think all people have got secrets, so all families must. Mm. And that I, my, I actually, that's my, that's my uh, take on it anyway. Yeah, I suppose that now in this day of a lot of online genealogy too, a lot of those secrets that might have once been buried are now much more easier to access. So <laughs> that, that might be part of the reason why we yeah. seem to be coming more and more obsessed with family secrets. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as you mentioned earlier, as Jane Costello, you wrote three, sorry, nine best-selling rom-coms. Are you still writing under that pen name as well? No, I'm not. Um, I think having having taken the leap um, and obviously all the rewards that have come with, um, you know, with the Catherine Isaac novels, especially things like, you know, the movie and things, you know, that, that I think, I think for me, that's kind of the direction. It seems an obvious direction for me to carry on. Having said that, um, the Jane Costello novels are, um, seem to be getting loads of attention at the moment because of, um, I think, because they're so upbeat and they are 
um, pure out and out humor and warmth and all that kind of stuff. Um, I am certainly, without having seen any statistics, I'm getting the impression that people are looking for that kind of read at the moment. So um, we have kind of certainly in the UK, we've re-released a couple of them um, and there's a couple of others, one in particular that I would love to see them re-release because it was my favourite one, which was Girl on the Run. Um, and I think so many people are running these days and, you know, and so, so I think the combination of that um, and our need, our need for escapism and a really good laugh at the moment, um, I think I think could really work. But in terms of me actually writing new work, no, I'm working on um, I'm working on another Catherine Isaac novel at the moment. Great. Look, turning to your wider career, career away from the individual books, if there's one thing that you've done more than any other that you would credit as the secret of your success, what would it be? Um, one work, do you mean, or one one uh, sort of either character tray or oh. skill or talent or okay gosh that's interesting the secret of my I would say um absolutely absolute refusal to give up um I think um and I think actually you've got to have that as a writer to be honest because when you when you sit um and I, I mean at the start of any book I've written kind of 12, 13 books now. Um, I'm in the middle of writing the 13th at the moment. Um, I, when you sit and you, you know, you have a blank page with a hundred thousand completely unwritten words in front of you, it is the most daunting thing. And you can kind of easily convince yourself, um, that, Oh God, you know, in fact, I do every time. I kind of think this this is going to be the one where I'm found out. I'm going to be caught out on this. This is going to be the one I can't do it. And I I I think um I think it's the determination to kind of push through those doubts and keep going until you get to the end and then keep refining and keep, you know, even when I mean there are lots lots of knocks in this business that there really are. And it's, um, you know, um, it's just a question of kind of brushing yourself down and getting going again. Um, so I would just say that, really. I think that's the, that, the more than anything. Um, but I think so many, you know, that that is what kind of, I suppose, distinguishes a lot of published authors um, from, you know, that that's the difference between being published and being unpublished, I suppose, is just this ability to keep or determination just to keep on rolling your sleeves up and keep going really, even when it, it, it isn't easy and it shouldn't be easy by the way, if it's easy, it's probably, I, I always, I always think this, I was thinking if a book has been really, really hard to write, it will end up being really good because you've put some blood and sweat and tears into it. Um, and I think it's, if it's too easy, you probably haven't challenged yourself enough, if you know what I mean. That's my theory anyway. It's lovely to hear you say that when you've written nine bestsellers. So people <laughs> might think, oh, well, it's easy for her. <laughs> no, it's not easy. Not easy at all. And it doesn't, in fact, it only gets harder, bizarrely. Um, it, it really does. But I think because of the higher, the, you know, the higher, the, I think, I suppose the more success you have, the higher you, you set your own bar, if you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, and you don't want to disappoint anybody and you know there is an expectation there and mm. um, 
and actually just, you know, you for, for, for yourself, you don't want to kind of write something that's second, but you want to be better mm. than the last book you've written. Mm. Um, I think that's what every author wants is, is, to, is to think that they're improving with every book. There has never been a point where I've sat down and thought, oh, well, you know, I can, that'll do, you know, I'll just write the next one and put any, any old thing out. I've never thought that. I'm always striving for you know, the next, um, for the next one to be even better than the last one. Yeah, that's lovely. Look, this is the, called The Joys of Binge Reading. So just turning to Catherine as reader, what do you like to binge read yourself when and if you get time for it these days? It's actually more challenging these days, I have to say, between the children and um, and the writing. But I I do still read every night, and I um, I'm a big fan of audio books as well. That's become part of my part of my absolutely part of my life in the last couple of years. So I've always got two books on the go: one as an audio, and one as a um, you know one one as a normal. A traditional book um, but I've got really uh, I read really widely to be honest um, my the best book I've read my absolute favorite book um, in the last couple of years has been um, The Heart's Invisible Furies by John Boyne I don't know if you've if you come across that at all so John Boyne was the guy who wrote The Boy in the Striped Pajamas um, but this is completely different it's a completely different novel it's this huge, you know, um, brick of a book, you know, but it is absolutely brilliant. And what he as a writer does just so brilliantly, um, is be able to make a reader laugh out loud and, uh, but also just weep. Um, and his kind of characterization is absolutely sublime and there are twists and turns. And I, I just loved that book, but I'll read anything and everything really. So, um, you know, I love some of the classics. Rebecca is my favorite book. Um, I used to love, um, I'm just trying to think when I was a, you know, when when I was a teenager and first that, that was the time I really got into kind of reading every night and that that amazing feeling when you you're so into a book that you cannot turn the light off <laughs> so in those days I was reading lots of Stephen King and Jilly Cooper and Jackie Collins and all that kind of stuff was this you know stuff that really made me that that was proper binge reading I think um but yeah any these days it's anything and everything yeah, that's lovely. We are coming to the end of our time together. So circling round, looking back over where you've come from in your writing career, if there is there anything that you would change if you could do it all again? Oh, gosh. No. I, God, is that a really boring answer? No, <laughs> I don't think. I God, I just I'm just trying to think. No, I definitely wouldn't write thrillers. I definitely wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't have got. I've got the best agent I could ask for. I've got brilliant publishers. I, you know. Um, How did you find your agent? So Sheila, my agent. Well, I've actually got a different agent now from my, the one I first had. So my first agent was a guy called Darley Anderson who um he he's he's really big he looks after people like uh, Lee Child and Martina Cole and so wow. he's really really big and uh, yeah 
And um, I knew nobody in publishing and was completely clueless at the beginning. So I was, like you said earlier, I was on maternity leave at the time. And um, and I'd, 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 I'd written like these first chapter of this book and I'd done a synopsis and I bought the the writers and artists handbook and that had listed all these agents in it and it said um each of them said please supply three chapters and a synopsis so I thought well, I've, I've done that so I I'd, you know I'd done I, I, I'd given that I'd written the three chapters and a synopsis so I sent it off to all these agents and Darley who who I mentioned phoned me the day after and said, I think, I really think you're on to something here. Could you send the rest this afternoon? At which point I had to tell him <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't any more at that point. Um, but just having somebody who was um interested, you know, and, and thought that I was on to something really gave me a, a, you know a, a, a kick up the um proverbial and and just gave you know made me really want to kind of carry on but then I then moved to Sheila a couple of years ago Sheila Crowley who um she um she is Jojo Moyes's or um agent and she looks after Santa Montefiore and lo- loads of really big she's massive in women's fiction basically and is just brilliant um you know she yeah she she's very good um she's what every author wants in terms of an an agent in um in the sense that she is she's brilliant editorially but also so on the ball in terms of other all the other things as well um and yeah she she's she's superb and it's a really important relationship for an author really to have a to have an agent that they trust and you know who are who are there in the good times and bad and yeah so she's excellent it's wonderful now look um what is next for Catherine the writer how is 2020 shaping up even with this terrible situation we're living in what what are your plans for the rest of the year with your writing well i i'm hopefully i I don't know when they are going to publish the next book because at the moment, certainly in the UK, um, it, it's, it was originally planned for November. I've not been told anything otherwise, but I do wonder because I know lots of, um, lots of other books are kind of um, being, you know, the publication dates are being pushed back now. So whether that will have a knock-on effect but as it stands, I've got a, another book coming out in in November, um, certainly in the UK. Um, so that will be that will be the next thing to focus on. But for now, um, because Messy Wonderful Oz is just out, it's a question of um, really kind of certainly for the moment. That's my been my big focus is trying to focus on the promotion and make sure people can because obviously it's been a big. Um, we had a whole publicity tour planned for Messy Wonderful Us. I was due to be going on the Graham Norton show and um, and two days earlier we went into lockdown. <laughs> so, so that was supposed to be my career high, that was, being interviewed <laughs> by Graham Norton. And unfortunately that uh, didn't come to pass. But, you know, th- there are worse things that can happen, aren't there? So we're just kind of muddling through and, and doing everything we can um, at the moment to kind of get that book into people's hands, even in, in pretty challenging times. That's lovely. And what's the name of the one that's coming out later in the year or maybe early next year now? Yeah, it's, it's called The World at My Feet. Yeah. 
and uh, yeah, I'll be able to. I'll talk more about that. I think closer to the time when because uh, it's still it still hasn't even gone to my. Uh, I haven't even sent it to my editor yet. But uh, the provisional title is "The World at My Feet." Great, that's wonderful. Look, do you like interacting with your readers, and where can they find you online? I love interacting with readers. Um, one of the absolute joys of being an author um, uh, is, is hearing from readers all over the world, um, both close to home and all over the world. So absolutely they can uh, interact with me online. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, um, I'm on Instagram. Um, I do, uh, I think the timing's probably not very good for you though. I was going to say I do a Facebook live event every Friday. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's at 1 p.m. British standard time. So I've got a feeling that's in the middle. Is that in the middle of the night for you? Yes. Okay. 1 p.m. would probably be, um, what would it be? Yes. I'd have to work out. 13 hours, 13 hours, I think is the difference at the moment. Right. Okay. Not ideal then for anybody. It'd be like 2am or something. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do they stay, do the, do the recorded, yeah. They're all on there. Yeah, they're all, they all stay on there. Um, and yeah, in fact, I should definitely do some, um, I should do some, uh, some of them for, uh, at, a, at a better time, I think for people all around the world. Um, but yes, um, I absolutely love, so if anybody, you know, come, do come and say hello and I do kind of interact with, you know, everybody who says hi. So, um, yeah, please do. I'm on all, all of those platforms. They can find me. That's wonderful. We'll make sure that all of the links for those, um, books that you've mentioned and for those websites are in the blog that we published. With and one other thing I should mention, actually, mm-hmm. you've just reminded me, I'm so rubbish at remembering these things. I do have um, a newsletter that I, that goes out every month, once a month. Um, and there's always a, there's a books giveaway in it. There's all my book news as well. Um, and the giveaway is worldwide. So um, you know, um, that, that, that would be, we have done some specific, my, my publisher in New Zealand is, is, is that it covers New Zealand and Australia and they do do specific, um, giveaways as well for, for, for there as well. So, so that's please wonderful. do have a look. That's wonderful. They sign Catherine. up on my, on my website. Yeah, Catherine that's I. wonderful. Yeah. Look, thank you so much for your time. I know it's a difficult time to just settle down and do this kind of thing. So we're really grateful to you. Thanks so much. Oh, no, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's wonderful. Look, thank you so much for your time. I know it's a difficult time to just settle down and do this kind of thing. So we're really grateful to you. Thanks so much. Oh, no, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, 
audioservices at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.